today on the Almond Journey podcast. Farmers were, by nature, I think, optimistic people. Otherwise, I don't think some of us would be doing it if we didn't think that there was uh, something, you know, better down the road. We're talking orchard experiments, as well as insights from almond grower and processor field representative Donnie Hicks. Welcome back to the Almond Journey podcast brought to you by the Almond Board of California. Here on the show, we discover how growers, handlers, and other stakeholders are making things work in their operations to drive the almond industry forward. I'm your host, Tim Hamrich, and I'm traveling up and down the valley, virtually in this case, to feature the leaders who are finding innovative ways to improve their operations, connect with their communities, and advance the almond industry. Today, we're traveling to Houston, California, to visit with almond grower and Houston nut field representative Donnie Hicks. Donnie manages a small 18-acre orchard of his own, which he says helps him keep a grower's perspective in everything he does. Donnie and I talk about how he's offering up his acreage for experiments in areas such as fumigation, pruning, and subsurface irrigation. Then we talk about his role at Houston Nut and what he learns from the growers he works with day to day. Before joining Houston Nut a decade ago, Donnie worked as a steel rule cutting dye maker in the corrugated industry. And he managed the family orchard on the side. Yeah, the place, our home place, uh, my wife has lived here eh, 50 plus years. It was in her family back in the 50s. It was peaches. And then her family had a dairy across the street. So they grew corn and oats. And then in 1985, they planted uh, almonds. So I came along 28 years ago and I started farming the almonds eh, for about 20 years. Many of you probably know Donnie and know that it doesn't take long in talking to him to learn how much he loves his family and how glad he is that the next two generations, his two kids and two grandkids, live close by. Yeah, so my wife and I, we have uh, a son and a daughter, and they're both married. And uh, our daughter has a boy and a girl. And uh, my grandchildren, they, they melt our hearts. <laughs> My grandson, Henry's four, and my granddaughter, Olivia Reagan, is uh, one. Kind of spoil him a little bit, but uh, my grandson, he loves to go out into the orchard, and he actually likes the almonds in all the stages, in the gel, and when they get to nut fill, and, and of course, uh, you know, when they're ready to harvest. Well, there's no doubt what continues to drive Donnie to be the best grower he can be while also serving almond growers from Chowchilla to Chico as a field representative. As we dive into this interview here with Donnie, the first part will focus on his orchard and the experiments that he's currently engaged with. Then later we'll get into his job at Houston Nut and insights for where the industry might be headed. To kick things off, though, Donnie shares about some of the experiments he's doing in fumigation and irrigation. So the 10-acre side I have, uh, it was through the Almond Board and the USDA uh, fumigation trial, and uh, we completed that and still waiting for all the information from our UC Ag Extension here in Stanislaus County. They've been taking all the uh, numbers on it. But the trees look good, you know, just looking at them. They did various types of uh, fumigants, various dips with the tarping and yeah, it, people would drive by the place here and they would, what is going on out there? <laughs> so a lot of uh, good information, though. And then the other, uh, we've got a subsurface uh, irrigation project going on and with Fresno State. And there's this uh, guy from down south 
that approached me said, hey, would you be willing to try this? And I said, sure. So last year, we only put on eight inches of water, and I ended up getting uh, about 2,200 pounds an acre. So we did a third of an acre to try it on. Now, the other trees did over 4,000 pounds, <laughs> but I only put eight inches of water on it. So this was the first year. So we'll we'll see how it progresses going forward. And if that works out, that could be an answer to this lack of water that we do have and the energy savings that it has as well. Right. That's really interesting. So you're going to do that again on the same third of an acre next year? Correct. We kind of think that we're probably going to see a drop off because the trees did get a little bit stressed. And so they're, they're eighth leaf trees and they're getting a new source of water and they weren't quite ready for that, I don't think. So I think the buds will have suffered a little bit. So probably take about three years before we really get a good idea if it's uh, viable. But, but right now, I would have said, if you give me 2,000 pounds an acre on eight inches of applied water, I'll do it. That's really interesting. Yeah. And then who who is it at Fresno State then you're working with on that? It's their ag irrigation. And uh, also, um, there's been a few uh, UC people have come out there. If you look at my trees, they, <laughs> they've got uh, these probes drilled in the side of them. And we've got probes laid down in the soil. Yeah, it's pretty pretty cool process that's going on. That is cool. All right. Well, you'll have to update us on the results of that as well as the fumigation trial. And so the fumigation, are they just looking at different products or they're also looking at different timings and ways to apply that as well? Yeah, correct. So what they did, they tried to do it at a greater depth to keep that fumigant, you know, down below. Of course, you know, trying to keep it from going up into the air where we want to keep it down in the soil. So they did some with tarping and uh, again, with different depths. TriCal was also a part of the trial, and they did some used some different types of fumigants that aren't even really fumigants. So, like stuff that we use to uh, pasteurize our almonds with, like PPO. Yeah, and they're still uh, getting the information on that. And like I said, looking at the trees, they look good, but um, it'll uh, take a little while to see if everything worked out okay. Yeah, too early to tell for sure. That's interesting. Yeah, to give the growers, you know, because. Talone gets uh, capped off, you know, for a township, and they're just looking at any other way we can do it and still get a, a good, healthy tree. They even did some uh, just tarping without any fumigant at all, and those trees are actually looking pretty good. Those are uh, Shasta trees that I planted there, and yeah, not too bad so far. Very cool. And uh, what about on the on the post harvest? Is there anything new and interesting there that we need to talk about as far as technology goes? Yeah. Okay. So that's one thing I did do also, you know, in the past, everybody has done a lot of hand pruning and for a couple of reasons, uh, it can be very pricey and then also trying to find the labor. That's been a challenge. So what a lot of guys are doing now are mechanical pruning. And I, I did that on my uh, 10 acres, had a company come in, skirted and hedged, and then came back through and topped them. And then they came back with brush rakes and raked them into the center row, and then came back with the uh, grinder and ground everything up. So they were done in two days, where, you know, ordinarily, if you get a, a crew out there hand pruning, it can take a, <laughs> weeks. Yeah, and, and was, I mean, money savings were pretty significant? Oh, yeah, 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 quite a bit. 
Now, you still have to go out there and do a little bit of hand pruning because, you know, it doesn't get everything. And and there are some drawbacks where some of the prunings get caught in the in the canopy and you got to go out there by hand and get them out. But yeah, I think that's a thing of the future, especially with uh, my Shasta trees are, uh, they're 2114, so they're planted pretty tight. And uh, being able to mechanically go in there and take care of things. And also with these uh, high density plantings, that's something that's probably going to be real good for them. Your job sounds awesome, but I don't know much about it yet. So I'm sure I am only thinking about all the great parts, but it seems like you get to kind of, you know, travel, visit different growers, you know, just talk about how the crop's going. I mean, walk us through kind of the day to day of what you do. Yeah. So I kind of tease sometimes. Uh, I work a little bit harder out in my 18 acres than I do uh, for Houston. That's physically. But uh, it's really nice to be able to farm and do what I'm doing because I'm going through the same thing that, that my growers are going through, whether it be water issues, price. You know, it uh, it really helps me to relate to my growers. And uh, working with growers, I go out every May and uh, visit all my uh, growers to do an estimate of what the crop is going to be. And then throughout the year, just keeping in touch with them. And uh, I'll get calls, you know, asking how the market's looking. That's probably the, the number one. And then we have a couple of different uh, ways we work. We have, uh, we have a call pool and then a grower pool. And I do have a few in the call pool. And of course, you know, working on prices till they find a good price to sell. And then I write up contracts and it's kind of nice having a, technology. I'm able to do that most of it on my computer. So like my growers up north, it's easy to take care of it that way. And you know, one thing I don't know, because I'm, I'm relatively new to the industry, do those contracts happen on a delivered basis all the time? Or how does that kind of work? Yeah, so it's interesting on the, um, for the call pool, you know, you could pretty much sell anytime we start offering prices for the that current crop year. And um, as a matter of fact, I have my eight acres that's in the call pool, and I actually sold before I even put them on the ground. Yeah, so most of my growers, though, they get everything in, and they kind of see what their quality looks like, because you can get, you know, a better price with quality sometimes. And our contracts, we go year to year. And uh, I'm thankful to say I haven't had a lot of turnover. You know, it, it's been pretty good. I've been able to uh, build each year, picking up a few more growers. That's great. And are, are you the only person in that role for Houston Nut? Uh, no, we have two other reps. Uh, we have one in Fresno and then another one in Visalia. So we're kind of spread thin. I believe we're probably about the number three processor in the, well, I guess the world because, you know, California kind of controls the almonds. And uh, we did about 110 million pounds last year. And part of that, though, about probably 50%, well, maybe not quite 50% now, Olam, they're one of the world's largest uh, almond growers, too. So so we process a lot of their product. Yeah, that's really cool. And so for you all, you're processing and then what markets are generally your almonds going to? I know that's not something you're working on day to day, but I think it's kind of cool to think about. Yeah, no, I. it's kind of nice. We have weekly meetings and they share with the reps, you know, how how the marketing side of things are going. And it's pretty interesting. Houston Nut, we, for as long as I've been with them, have really been heavy on the domestic. So they were, I think, 
two years ago when Olam purchased us, we were about 65% domestic. And so it worked out great for Olam. They wanted that domestic market, you know, a little more because they already had the export. So it, it really uh, fit like a glove, you know. So now, now we have a good export side and a domestic side. Right. I'm curious with that, you know, because you farmed for a long time before you went to work for Houston Nut. Did any any of your experiences there sort of change your approach, you know, with the almonds that you were growing as a grower, either in mindset or practices? I mean, I'm curious if you picked up anything that has changed the way you do that. Oh, absolutely. The, the first thing I, I did when I was going to take this job, I got online and looked at every UC website, you know, uh, on almonds, uh, went to every uh, field day and learned everything I, I could. So it was kind of kind of neat being able to take out that old orchard and start over again. So really neat experience. And working with the Almond Board through the sustainability program, it helped me out a lot deciding on what kind of tree I was going to plant, what rootstock, just a lot of good information that, that helped me in that process. Right. And so I, I'm assuming you're your own customer, that that's where your almonds end up. Is there anything that you do that you think you focus on just a little bit more because you're on the processor side, you know, as far as, I, I don't know, a, anything? Yeah, no, it, it definitely helps, you know. So if, if I send them in a little bit too wet, they have to go to the dryer. I avoid that. And then also um, during the manufacturing side of the nut, that knowledge does help trying to make sure that you're getting the, the best quality in there to the processor because ultimately, you know, you get better, better product in there, you get a better return. Yeah, absolutely. You know, in your time there, has what you're looking for in terms of quality changed at all or has it been pretty much the same thing? Or what has changed the most, I guess, when it comes to what you're looking for as far as sourcing almonds? Yeah, um, on the processing side, technology has really helped. Just about any variety of nut out there, they can send it to the buyer and it's clean and they just keep pushing it even more. So another example is like uh, with InShell. Sometimes that market is really good and sometimes it's not. And uh, so we work with our growers, you know, hey, we need some InShell. So we'll we'll talk to our growers and, okay, yeah, we're going to go InShell, but you got to farm it a little bit differently. You got to let it dry a little bit. You can't just do it normal because uh, you want to make good quality in shell. And then I'll go out to the field and check. One thing when you're going to make in shell, you can't have a lot of rejects like worm damage or ant damage. So we go out in the fields and do a lot of sampling to make sure that they can go that route. Great. You were in Sacramento last week, right? Mm -hmm. Correct. Any takeaways from the Almond Conference or highlights or reflections on uh, on your week in Sacramento last week? Yeah, it was uh, the first thing. It was really nice to be able to get back and see people in person. My wife, she's also a bee broker. So we, we work hand in hand. And it took us three days to cover the whole floor. Because <laughs> you, you run into somebody and start talking. And you run into another person and start talking. And next thing you know, oh, it's lunch. And then next thing, oh, it's over now. <laughs> so that that was nice. Uh, and the Almond Board's great because they... They tell us, you know, some of the bad news too, you know, with the port situation that we have right now, you know, the, the price really is not the best. It's a little better than last year, but most growers don't have the uh, crop that they had last year. 
So it, it may be back-to-back years of, for some people, you know, not very sustainable for them. So, you know, hopefully in the future, it, it gets better. So that was good hearing from uh, the board, what they had to say. And then also, um, yeah, the highlight was the gala dinner, Tyler Rich. It was awesome. That was fun. Very cool. I think that's important, you know, to to get everybody together, especially in a time like this where there are a lot of challenges. And I know for you, that's probably a big part of your job is, you know, you're talking to a lot of people that are probably going through a pretty tough time. So, you know, could you maybe talk about how those conversations go and then also kind of what keeps you optimistic that, you know, that we're going to get through this? Yeah. You know, again, being a grower, I can kind of... uh... (laughs) commiserate with them because I, you know, I'm affected by that price too. And, um, and the water issues, although where I'm at, our water situation was a little better this year. Turlock Irrigation District, they gave us pretty good deliveries, but um, we're still faced with having to litigate the state, which they're wanting to take uh, 40% unobstructed flows out of three of our rivers. So that that's affecting all of us. And there was at one time we thought that uh, we live in a in an area where our water's safe, but uh, that's a big challenge. And sometimes, yeah, talking with growers, uh, I sometimes uh, feel like a counselor. <laughs> you know, farmers were, by nature, I think, optimistic people, because uh, otherwise, I don't think some of us would be doing it if we didn't think that there was uh, something, you know, better down the road. And I do think uh, short term, it, it's going to be difficult until we get these uh, port challenges out of the way. But uh, long term, you know, there's going to be some things going on with Sigma. Unfortunately, maybe some people in the South San Joaquin Valley and maybe uh, those that are just on well water, it's going to affect them. If you got two sources of water, you're you're a little bit better positioned. And, and most of my growers, again, are in areas where they're able to get two sources of water. But uh, yeah, and price, yeah, there's a lot of them that... Um, it's tough and difficult. And again, it depends on your position. If, if you've owned your place and it's been in the family for a long time, you can get by on a little less. But for some of those that have paid a higher price for their land and developed a, you know, a new orchard, they need a little bit better return. Well, as you think about the future, both of your own almond orchard, but also of all the growers that you serve on a regular basis, you know, what do you see changing other than hopefully better prices and, and better water situation, obviously. But uh, as you look out to the the next decade, what do you think is going to impact the future of, of where almonds are going? Well, again, the um, with the Sigma, when that gets implemented, it's supposed to be within 20 years, but I think a lot of these... Uh, the GSA areas, they're going to uh, start implementing it sooner rather than later. And again, unfortunately, they're going to have to pull out some acreage. And it's just not all almonds. It'll be other crops too. But then that's going to get our production down a little bit below the 3 billion pound mark. But the best thing on the horizon, though, is that um, the consumers really want our product. You know, my wife and I just went on vacation uh, before Thanksgiving to Texas. And just about every place you stop, you could find almonds in the store. And people like the health benefit from them. That's the biggest, biggest for us. Again, it's getting it to them, though. <laughs> that's, the, that's the challenge right now. Well, thank you so much to Donnie Hicks for wrapping up our final episode of 2021. 
I agree with his comments about the Almond Conference, and it was really great to see many of you and meet many of you for the first time there in Sacramento earlier this month. If you're listening to this right now, around the time it publishes, so in December 2021, I want to wish you a Merry Christmas and a very Happy New Year. Also, that's going to be the theme of today's ABC Update. Well, we've just about made it to the end of the year. It's December as we're recording this, which is a great time to take a breath, spend some time with family and friends, and reflect upon the past year. 2021 has been a challenge for many, but Almond Board Chairman and co-owner of Sperry Farms Brian Walbrink echoes Donnie's optimism about the future ahead. I know this is a tough almond market, especially for growers. And there's been a lot of things thrown at us this year from COVID to shipping to prices and beyond. But when you look at the the long run, it's a very positive industry. We've had extreme growth and we've handled it well. The global shipments have been great. And that's really what's holding us back right now. So I feel like if we can make a few tweaks on the shipment side and, and you know keep the great products going out, the processors are doing a great job handling everything for us in the state. So I, I'm very optimistic on this industry and next year. For some, the year has been tough personally as well. Brian shared at the Almond Conference a couple weeks ago about the passing of his father-in-law this past year and his message of making sure that you enjoy and appreciate every single day. The patriarch of Sperry Farms, Jeff Sperry, passed away uh, with a, a really tough battle with ALS this year. And uh, it was really an unforeseen circumstance. He was a healthy guy, 70 years old. And that just goes to show you that you have to enjoy life, which was his his motto, and uh, and really enjoy every day. It really kind of puts things into perspective. He's built a great legacy that uh, Wes Ferry and myself are hoping to live on with. And if you're going through a tough time, you know, uh, there are others out there as well. So, you know, we're all in this together and we're going to get through. Well, 2021 will soon be coming to a close, and I hope you're able to enjoy this holiday season with friends and family. As chairman of the Almond Board, I wanted to give Brian the chance to share a message for the industry for this time of year. I just wanted to say Merry Christmas to all the growers and all the industry members, almond board staff, agency. We made it. We did it. Uh, all the almond growers and the processors and everybody in this great industry. I hope we're able to really enjoy this time, enjoy it with your family, wherever you may be, and uh, really reset and just have a great week. Have a great week and a half if you can take the time off and, and let's get ready for a clean slate in 2022. Well, thank you very much to Brian and, of course, also to Donnie Hicks for their contributions to today's episode. I hope you enjoy the rest of your 2021 and please make sure you're subscribed to this show because we'll be back with more episodes of the Almond Journey podcast in the new year. We believe everyone in the almond industry has a story of their own of how they're making things work on their farms or in their jobs. Hearing the voices of industry leaders, people like Donnie Hicks and Brian Walbrink may have sparked a connection or an idea that you can use in your own journey. And that's why we want to feature these stories of innovation, resilience, and community here on this podcast. I hope you'll come along for the ride by subscribing to the show on your podcast platform of choice. And please pass it along to others in the industry so we can all share in this almond journey together. <laughs>